0: Hello, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Rai Cooter Story, a podcast dedicated to the music, movies, and career of slide guitar master Rai Cooter. My name is Frank. I'm a video producer, podcaster, and lifelong Rai Cooter fan from Berlin, Germany, and as usual, I'm bringing you this podcast with a little help from text-to-speech AI. On this journey, we've now reached the mid-70s, and today we're talking about Cooter's fourth solo album, maybe his most accessible to date. The title does not refer to a song, but of all things, to a restaurant in Los Angeles. Cooter liked the sound of the name, so he called the album Paradise and Munch. He never went there himself, but I'm sure it was a great place to eat. So here we go. By the end of 1972, Cooter had three albums in the can, three great records that cemented his reputation as an exceptional musician. Like no other, he fused past and present, bringing together blues, jazz, folk, rock, and world music influences. Neither a nostalgic nor a preservationist, Cooter carried on the traditions, always searching for the perfect note and the ideal sound. The success with the public, however, had not materialized. Even though it was clear that Cooter's music was not chart material, and probably never would be, it was time for an interim assessment. In 1973, in an interview with the Syracuse New Times, he set the course. My three albums were like collections
1: of my favorite songs. Now I've recorded all my old favorites, and on my next album, I'm gonna have to diversify and include some new types of material. I don't want to do another album of Farmer tunes. Not that there's anything wrong with Farmer tunes, but people would hear it and say, oh, another nostalgia trip. And I don't want that. Now I'm trying to spread it out. In another interview, he told Circular magazine, It's not foremost in my mind to become accessible, but it's an important thing. I think that Boomer's story was personal to the point that it was hardly approachable. You had to sit down and pay attention to it.
0: While working on Paradise and Lunch, Cooter made several fundamental changes. First, he said goodbye to Farmer tunes and Dust Bowl Blues. Second, he decided to leave less to Chance. On his previous albums, much of the work had been improvised in the studio. Now, Cooter worked on the songs more thoroughly in advance and planned the recordings much more carefully. And third, he used male backup singers for the first time, a trick that would come to define Cooter's style from now on. Cooter had been dissatisfied with the female background vocals on his previous albums. He found the black male singers to be stronger and more appropriate. They'd also did a lot for a song rhythmically. Production took about a year. Lenny Waronker and Russ Teitelman returned as producers, with Teitelman also playing bass. Cooter...
1: Russ has been helping me tremendously by playing and sticking to it. He can play anything if he sets his mind to it, of course. And the bass is ideal because I don't have any bass players that I can work with here in town.
0: Jim Keltner returned on drums, Milt Holland on drums and percussion and Chris Etheridge on electric bass. Bobby King, Gene Mumford, Bill Johnson and George McKern, among others, provided background vocals. Recording took place at Warner Brothers Studios in North Hollywood with two songs, Diddy Wah Diddy and Tamp Him Up Solid, recorded at the Burbank Studios. If the title is borrowed from a restaurant, then the cover of Paradise and Lunch could well be modeled after the menu. It is bright yellow, with Cooter's name in red letters at the top, and the title below in dark blue. On the left, in front of a hand-painted colorful floral wallpaper, stands a drunken cocktail glass, the cherry orphaned at the bottom of the goblet. And in the center to the highlight, a photo of Cooter wearing a black wide-brimmed hat, a red scarf and a facial expression that defies description. Tortured, mad, sick. Let's say it's meant to be funny. About that face, Cooter told the New Musical Express in 1979. Well, I make faces all the time. That's
1: just the nature of being photographed, I guess. You hope that you have some kind of picture that will go together with the music, but if you set out to do that, you would probably never make it. You would end up with a cartoon all the time. That's a funny thing about record covers though, cause I've always done them myself. I figure if you have some sensibility about the music, you should also have some sensibility about the way it should look, rather than deliver it to some guy who's a graphic artist and doesn't even
0: know what you've done. Alec Wilkinson whose 1999 profile of Cooter we quoted in previous episodes has some basic thoughts on Cooter's lack of self-promotion.
2: He has never, though, put an especially flattering picture of himself on the cover of any of his records. On most of them his features are obscured, or the lighting is unsympathetic, or he is making a goofy face, or there is no picture of him at all. Cooter is averse to self-promotion. He has never changed the color of his hair. He has no tattoos. He has never appeared in a beer commercial or made an arrangement to wear the clothes of a specific designer or connive with a press agent, to be photographed in the company of a famous actress, or released photographs of how he looks sitting around his house or ones that reveal his body or that portray him engaged in lewd activities. And it is unlikely that he will. It is difficult to persuade him to have his photograph taken at all. The photographs of him that best reveal the warmth and complexity and depth of his nature have been taken by his wife, Susan
0: to whom he has been married for almost 30 years. All well and good and very true. But Cooter did appear in one or two commercials, if not for beer then for whiskey. There may be no farmers on Paradise and Lunch, but the tradition of the Railroad song continues unabated with Cooter. The album opens with Tampam Up Solid, a traditional that once again focuses on the little man. But let's start with a little terminology. Tie tamping refers to a process of railroad construction. It involves tightening the ties so they won't move around in the loose rock called ballast. In the early days of railroading, this was done by hand. Tamp them up solid, so they won't come down, can be a cheer among fellow workers, but also an order from the foreman, the captain, who's briefly mentioned at the end of the song. There, he kicks the unruly waterboy. So the song's about hard, tedious work, and the fact that our little man barely earns enough money to support his wife and child. Instead, he thinks about all the money he never earned. Tantum Up Solid, by a singer named Rochelle Harris, was first recorded by Alan Lomax in the Tennessee State Penitentiary in 1933. Another recording followed in 1940, but the version Rai Cooter first heard was recorded in 1963 by blues' great Josh
3: White. Tap them up solid So they won't come down Tap them up solid So they won't come down You You can do it You can do it You can do it You can do it Married. Married when
0: Cooter's interpretation is much more sophisticated. From the beginning, he makes good use of his new backup voices. They gently imitate the sound of the train, accompanied by Cooter's acoustic guitar and Milt Holland's percussion. Hey.
3: Up silit, so they won't come down. Tamp 'em up silent, but it's all they won't come down. Tamp 'em up, Sally, so they won't come down. Tamp 'em up, Sally, but it's all it won't come down.
0: Bill Johnson, one of the gospel sainters, knew the song and helped Cooter with the arrangement. Cooter later said of the process: You learn from people
1: like that. All of a sudden, you find you're learning a whole great big thing about arrangements which stays with you, although it doesn't happen very often.
0: Next up is the 1929 composition, You Can't Stop a Tattler, by Texas gospel blues performer Washington Phillips, whose denomination Blues Hooter had covered on Into the Purple Valley. It's a simple moral tale, accompanied by nothing more than a lightly plucked scither.
3: You can't stop a tattler, ain't. A- no use in you trying Just as long as this world lasts, They're gonna find somebody line. Oh, they deliver me from A woman or either man You know now it's all the go
0: Especially the beginning and the end are very different from Cooter's version. Cooter eliminates them to modernize the song. He also rearranged the order of the verses with Russ Teitelman, earning one of the few co-writing credits from this phase of his career. He said, There were a lot
1: of verses I didn't include. Church verses about people who go to church on Sunday. Raise hell on Monday. People who don't put any money in the collection box. People making dates with their neighbor's wife in church.
0: He also adds a chorus that the original didn't have. True love can be such a sweet harmony if you do the best that you can. That way, he transforms Phillips' simple blues into a moody contemplation about the sometimes dishonest relationships between men and women. It's a melancholy rock song similar to Teardrops Will Fall. Cooter adds beautiful gospel vocals by Bobby King, George McCum, and Titleman, a delicious string arrangement by Nick DeCaro, and a great rhythm section. His beloved 67 Daphne Blue Fender Stratocaster lends color to the song. But never seeks to take center stage in its own right.
3: Now that kinda of many ain't got as much sense as a music. You know everyone don't love you, they just a plane.
0: Cooter told Guitar Player Magazine in 1980, The overall sound of the
1: Tadler is strictly on account of plain deposition and G-tuning. You just can't get those passing chords in standard, and you can't get the bass notes.
0: Considered by many, including this podcaster, to be one of his best songs ever, Cooter was never entirely happy with it. Some good ideas, yes. A lot of care, yes. And a rhythm that gave the whole thing a certain lightness, yes but he still didn't like his vocals and the overall result. He was quite happy when Linda Ronstadt covered the song on her 1976 album, Hasten Down the Wind. He liked her version, and he made some extra money at a time when his own albums weren't selling very well. The next song, Married Man's a Fool, is a more comedic take on the theme of infidelity. The song is credited to Blind William McTell, who, of course, we've met when talking about the Rising Suns, as the author of the Statesboro Blues. McTell recorded his version in 1956, but it wasn't really his composition. While discussing some of his songs during the introduction to the recording, he said with disarming honesty, I'd jump em from other writers, but I'd arrange em my way. Married Man's A Fool was actually written by Eddie Green and Jody Butterbean's Edwards in 1924 Edwards and Susie Hawthorne were a husband and wife double act who toured the South and big cities with their vaudeville review for many decades. With Susie as the overbearing but frustrated wife and Butterbeans as the inadequate but wise-cracking husband, they combined the hilarity of their domestic sketches with blues songs laced with sexual innuendo. Too raunchy for white audiences, they were a household name in the African-American community. They cut dozens of records in the 20s, when steaming hokum blues was in vogue and recorded their last sessions in
3: 1960. Now he cast his eyes about and then he loudly shout, What'd say boy? He said a married man's a fool when he thinks that his wife don't love nobody else but him.
0: Mctell turned it into a more sober blues number with just his vocals and an acoustic guitar
3: friend Luther Brown, he was a deacon, just as wise as he could be. You realize he could read the good book back, from Revelation on down to Genesee. You know, last Sunday morning, we was over at the church, my buddy wanted to take him a stand. He wanted to look out upon that old congregation, with his good book in his hand.
0: Cooter simply fleshed out the original, giving it more of a rock song bed and emphasizing the comedy of the lyrics. Again, the newly added backup singers play an important role. Listen to how closely they follow Cooter's voice. It almost sounds like several tracks on top of each other.
3: Now he casts his eye about, and then he looks over in the amen corner. All the sisters come at to shout. What did he say? He said a married man's a fool to think that his wife loves nobody else but him. She's stuck by you all of your life. But chances is mighty slim. Now you read the good book, chapter twenty-one. Woman got there, have a little fun.
0: For Rolling Stone magazine, the levity of married man's a fool sets the listener up for the album's finest moment, the traditional gospel standard Jesus on the mainline. It obviously goes back to the early days of telephony, and it opens up new possibilities for believers. A combination of spirituality and technology, so to speak, the good news that Jesus is not only responsive, but always available. All you have to do is call him and tell him what you want. When the Reverend Gatmouth Brown and his gospel singers recorded it in 1960, it sounded like this. A far less conventional interpretation comes from blues legend Mississippi Fred McDowell. When musicologists Alan Lomax and Shirley Collins visited the American South in 1959 to record traditional songs, Jesus on the Main Line was one of them. 10 years later, a live electric version appeared on McDowell's album, I Do Not Play No Rock and Roll. This recording may very well have inspired Ry Cooter. As we heard in an earlier episode, Brenda Patterson also recorded the song in 1973 with Cooter on guitar. That didn't stop him from reinventing the song all over again one year later. He returns to the old white gospel with all its urgency and determination. The music sounds like a Salvation Army hymn, heavy and light at the same time, with tambourine, horns, and a surprising guitar break in the middle. Jesus on the Main Line wrote Stereophile magazine. With its loopy bass line, masked male voices, and Bowery Mission-like brass band,
3: seems like the most infectious, impossibly funky track ever cut by a white Americana musician.
0: Rolling Stone's John Landau explained, I find Jesus
2: on the mainline liberating music. It liberates through Rye Cooter's commitment to detail, through his precise but never labored or academic approach to performing, through his ability to locate the spirit, the intelligence, and the heart of a song, and reveal them to us.
0: Those are his very special gifts. Side 1 closes with Cooter's reinterpretation of It's All Over Now, a song written by Bobby and Shirley Womack. It was a minor hit for the Valentinos, also known as the Womack Brothers, in 1964. Shortly thereafter, the Rolling Stones reworked it and turned it into a number one hit in the UK. Hooter gave the song a loping Caribbean feel. He later said, I'd known it's all over now for a long time,
1: but I loved the Valentinos version so much that I wouldn't touch it until I realized that it was almost like a reggae song, very close to Jimmy Cliff. So that was my excuse for doing that.
3: Yeah, baby used to stay out.
0: Hooter turns the song into a kind of smoky reggae, combined with New Orleans jazz and an interesting combination of organ, guitar, and overdub vocals. Side two begins with a wonderful medley. The first part was originally called Fool About a Cigarette. It was written and first recorded in 1966 by a Memphis cab driver named Sidney Bailey. Longtime collaborator Jim Dickinson, also from Memphis, brought it to Cooter's attention. Cooter retitled the song Fool for a Cigarette. i I'm
3: a fool for a cigarette Lord, I'm a fool When you finish cuz i want smoke it. Lord, i'm a fool cigarette
0: it's another perfect blend of guitar mandolin and vocals the second part of the medley is a song called feelin' good it was originally written and recorded by another famous bluesman named jb lennon He was a hip, flamboyant Chicago transplant born in the woods of Monticello, Mississippi. His songs are filled with real people, real passions, and real problems. Feeling Good is about a little man who walks the streets fantasizing about expensive cars and jewelry.
4: Feeling good, feeling good All the money in the world Spend on feeling good
0: with the help of the aforementioned jim dickinson cooter updated the lyrics he plays the song in a very relaxed way now the lyrics are lifted from daydreams to reality with envy the little man watches the rich people having a good time in the last verse, he reminds us that all people are created equal and should live in peace with each other. It's almost like a line from the Denomination Blues.
3: Red yellow, black and tan, makes no difference man to man. They all live together now if they could, but well, the whole round world would be feeling good.
0: If Walls Could Talk is another bittersweet song about the forbidden things adults do behind closed doors. No fewer than five of the nine tracks on Paradise and Lunch deal with infidelity, breakups, and heartbreak. And even if Cooter didn't write them himself, the subject matter seems to have interested him deeply during this phase of his career. If Walls Could Talk was written by Bobby Miller. He wrote it in 1969 for Little Milton, a soul stinger originally from Sam Phillips' on-record's Hit Factory. Meanwhile, he was signed to the chess label Checker. He made the brassy song the title track of his next album a year later.
3: It's shoes the tail.
0: Making full use of his backup combo, Cooter eliminates the soul parts and replaces them with gospel and R&B. If proof were needed that Cooter could adapt not only Depression-era songs, but modern material as well, he provides it with Mexican Divorce. Written by pop legend Burt Bacharach and Bob Hilliard, the Drifters turned it into soft soul pop in 1962. The backup singers included none other than the young Dionne Warwick, whom Bacharach discovered during the recording sessions. He went on to write several top hits for her. In the 1960s, getting a divorce in Mexico was easier, faster, and less expensive than in most of the United States. Mexican divorces did not require spouses to be present at a hearing, so a number of Americans took advantage of the fast-track process available there, often sending an attorney to represent them. Celebrities who have obtained Mexican divorces include Elizabeth Taylor, Charlie Chaplin, and Marilyn Monroe. The process was often referred to as a quickie Mexican divorce. In 1970, many courts stopped accepting divorce petitions from non-residents. In the following years, every state in the U.S. passed legislation allowing no-fault divorce, making Mexican divorces unnecessary. In the early 60s, however, divorce was such a sensitive subject that the drifter's version was hidden as a single B-side. Again, Cooter
4: makes extensive and effective use of his all-male vocal group. As critic Bud Scapa wrote, In Mexican Divorce, the black group's harmonies produce a traditional pop smoothness, underscoring by contrast the song's anxiety-weighted lyric.
3: Love love so long 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 well must be wrong it's a
0: This is Weatherbird, recorded in Chicago in 1928... Once we play a song not directly related to Cooter, it's considered by many to be one of the best jazz duets ever recorded, played by two friends who were among the most important jazz musicians of the 20th century, Louis Armstrong on trumpet and Earl Hines on piano. Cooter once called Hines a magical person. He grew up listening to him in a very ethereal way. So you can imagine how nervous he was when he picked up the phone one day in 1974.
1: I heard he was in town and I thought, how can I lose? So I called him up. He wasn't doing anything that day, so although he didn't know me, I asked him to come down, and he said he had a song we could play, which was Diddy Wah Diddy. He was fine, an agreeable guy, and it was just one of those crazy things. We never did hardly any more recording, but that was lucky, it was correct and a good idea, which you have every now and again.
3: I'll soon be gone Just give me that thing that you're sitting on My Diddy Wah Diddy Mr. Diddy Wah Diddy I wish somebody would tell me what Diddy Wah Diddy means
0: Fred Metting wrote about Cooter's cover of Blind Blake's classic blues tune. The resulting performance of Diddy Wah Diddy is a pleasure to listen to and was a personal triumph for Cooter. In his musical conversation with Earl Hines, Cooter stays true to Blind Blake's swinging spirit. His guitar swings. It's sophisticated. It illustrates the flexible syncopation, innovative melodic sense, and independence of the fingers he learned from masters like Spence and Blake. The piano of Earl Hines takes the song to a new level of sophistication. Cooter said of the recording,
1: First of all, just to be in the presence of somebody that good is what it's all about. Second of all, You actually have a good little tune for him to play, and he says, well, I don't know anything about this kind of music, and then proceeds to play it, until I almost had to leave the room. So I said, ah, we'll just record this, Earl, and think nothing about it. Once in a while you get to play along with somebody like that. It was the dream of a lifetime.
0: Paradise & Lunch was released by Reprise Records on June 8, 1974. The album reached only number 167 on the Billboard 200, but reviews were overwhelming. The New York Times wrote, Long regarded as one of the finest guitar and
2: mandolin players on the scene, Cooter has created an album bursting with musical ideas that constantly delight the ears. On Paradise and Lunch, he's arranged an adapted material ranging from the traditional to Bacharach for his own guitar, plus a superb rhythm section and rich male background voices. The result is a fresh and irresistible sound. Although Cooter is not a great singer, his guitar and mandolin work more than compensates. Rolling Stone magazine said, Paradise and Lunch is probably the closest Cooter will come to making a happy album. He's dropped the depression as a subject, Although not as a musical source, and has relied more than ever on a gospel feeling, the joyful side of gospel. He also shows more interest in jazz, and on Diddy Wa Diddy, a duet with jazz pianist Earl Hines, he unleashes his most impressive
0: single string guitar playing so far. In 2017, Robert Baird wrote in Stereophile magazine I'm not sure if Ray Cooter, guitarist extraordinaire, ever made
2: a bad record, but I damn sure know that Paradise and Lunch will forever be his brightest classic. I've always felt that Paradise and Lunch is country music, not in the sense of Nashville, but in the sense of earthy, real, utterly American art. Paradise and Lunch is the kind of album you can listen to a hundred times and still not understand all the information, inspiration, and pure genius that rises from its
4: rarefied grooves. And finally, here's what AllMusic.com's Brett Hartenbach had to say. One may think that an album that contains a traditional railroad song, Tunes by assorted blues greats and a Negro spiritual, alongside selections by the likes of Bobby Womack, Burt Bacharach, and Little Milton, may lack cohesiveness or merely come across as a history lesson. But to Cooter, this music is all part of the same fabric and is as relevant and accessible as anything else that may be happening at the time. No matter when it was written or how it may have been done in the past, the tracks, led by Cooter's brilliant guitar, are taken to new territory where they can coexist.
0: As promised, we want to use today's episode to talk a bit about Cooter's live performances in the early 1970s. There were a lot of them, of course, and surprisingly, many of them can still be heard today. Recordings from concerts, radio, or TV appearances, or from festivals. Even in the days of good old vinyl, there were various bootlegs in circulation. Nowadays there are many different versions of these recordings. Some of them are re-released under new titles and in different compilations. But most of them go back to the same shows from 1972 to 74. Another important source is of course YouTube. You can find some incredible stuff there. If you haven't done so already, you should definitely go there and search. A little hint, the more specific you search for years or places, the more varied the results will be. In previous episodes, we've heard Cooter's early performances in San Francisco or with Arlo Guthrie in 1971. In the spring of 72, Cooter joined Todd Ruggren for a series of shows in West Hollywood. Otherwise, it was a quiet year for him live Two concerts with Dr. John in San Francisco followed in October, and in December he made an hour-long radio recording for a Cleveland station that later circulated as a bootleg. Cleveland recording concert with Ryan Cooter, which was delayed due to that extraordinary Apollo 17
2: launch that happened last week. So now, here's Billy Bass.
0: After playing police dog blues and coming in on a wing and a prayer, he also gave a rare performance of a 1938 Sleepy John Estes tune, Clean Up at Home.
3: Wash my clothes, hang by the spine, get up in the morning, be stirly, dry, I clean up at home. I'm clean up at home. If you clean up at home, I declare you can't go wrong. I got a five-stand cabbie, a ten-stand suit. And all you people think I'm trying to cute, but I'm clean at home. I'm cleaning up at home. And if you clean up at home, I declare you can't go wrong.
0: Critic Kim Winship saw Cooter performing Clean Up at Home. He wrote, Ry Cooter plays hard. He squints, stomps, rocks, rolls, and wails notes out of the mandolin the Gibson people never built into it. Like the blind man who wrote the psalm, he seemed unconcerned with how he looked while the song was coming through. It was an intense, powerful performance that drew spontaneous whoops and shouts of encouragement from the audience. After cleanup at home, the audience belonged to Ry Cooter. Another rarely played song is You're Gonna Need Somebody on Your Bond by Blind Willie Johnson. Johnson first recorded the tune in 1929 He also sang it on the streets of Texas towns as both entertainment and a call to follow the teachings of Jesus. In the 1960s, it was covered by Buffy San Marie and Donovan.
3: i somebody on my bones when, in when death comes around I've got Somebody on my bone. <laughs>
0: In 1973, Hooter began to conquer Europe, in his own way, of course. In March, he performed at Pop Gala, a two-day festival in Vorburg, Netherlands. The arena was set up with two stages on either side so that when one act was playing, crews could break down and set up for the next act. The lineup included The Who, The Faces, and The Eagles. Cooter played FDR in Trinidad, Diddy Wah Diddy and Forget That Folding Bridge, a song he never recorded but played live regularly at the time. It's another adaptation of a Sleepy John Estes original.
3: Now I never will forget that falling bridge Now I never will forget that falling bridge No, no, no. Well, forget tell me five minutes time
0: A few days later, he appeared first on Dutch and then on British television, always wearing the same outfit. A pink flowered shirt and a light blue bandana. On the old Grey Whistle Test, a famous BBC music show He played a particularly inspired version of going to Brownsville. recording that is available as an unofficial album in several forms took place in may 1974 in denver colorado at a venue called evitz field that's obviously why one of the bootleg albums is called down at the field it's another radio broadcast and as usual at the time it's just cooter with either his guitar or the mandolin welcome warner brothers recording artist mr rye cooter
3: I got my gal, we took a chance. We went down to a midnight dance. Too tight, this rag of mine. Now it's too tight, sticking out. Too tight, to hear me shout. Too tight, this rag of mine. Tight, bad. Too tight, sick in bed, Too tight, it went to my head. Too tight, this rag of mine. Too tight, it's a mess. Too tight, now can't you guess?
0: Too tight, this rag of mine, originally recorded by Blind Blake. Cooter played 11 songs during the hour-long show. Another highlight is Blind Man messed up by Tear Gas. Sleepy John Estes wrote it after being tear-gassed at a folk festival in Washington, D.C. He was carried off the stage and taken to a doctor who refused to treat him. After all, the authorities would never gas an innocent man, let alone a blind and elderly man. So Sleepy John wrote the song and Rye passed it on.
3: Now when I got to Washington You know I was feeling alright And when I left I was feeling bad, bad, mm, and he said it's a blind man messed up in a ticket. Hmm. Ah, when I heard a racket and I went on the outside. Got tickets, all in my eyes now,
0: two months later, Cooter delivered a very different kind of show in Sausalito, California. Recorded at the record plant as part of a San Francisco station broadcast series, it is a full-fledged group concert featuring Cooter and longtime collaborators Jim Keltner on drums, Russ Titleman on bass, and Nilt Holland on percussion. Bobby King Gene Mumford and Cliff Givens provide backing vocals. Falls could talk from paradise and lunch which cooter was obviously promoting with this show the show was filmed by the way you can find it on youtube the link is in the show notes recorded in a casual living room atmosphere but with perfect engineering and a soulful vibe this is a perfect concert finally here's a great clip of teardrops will fall no need for tears though at least from a musical point of view And that brings us to the end of Episode 7 of The Rye Cooter Story. Thanks for listening. In two weeks, our next episode will cover a particularly exciting time, the beginning of Cooter's Tex-Mex period and the release of his 1976 album Chicken Skin Music. In the meantime, you can find us on social media or visit our website. As always, you'll find the links in the show notes. If you want to support the podcast, please go to Patreon slash The Rye Cooter Story and and become a member. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time.